The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning again. It is good to be with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here in Friends, it is good to be with you as we uh, come and worship our God. We sing to him and we come to his word. And uh, if you uh, have a Bible, you can turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It's where we'll be uh, looking this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. You can uh, follow along in one of those or in just a moment we'll be projecting the passage on the screen. Also, if, if you are here and you came and you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have one at home and you would like one, we would love for you to take that one in the chair. It is yours. It is our gift to you. Uh, we would love for you to have that. Um, but, but it would be good to have the passage open in front of you as we come to the Word this morning. So if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, then you uh, know that one of the dominant themes of this book is the theme of love. And we heard about this last week where John spoke about the love of God's people, the love that we are to have for one another. That love is the defining character trait that a Christian is to embody, love for God and love for neighbor, right? That is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it, that we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what John told us last week, and he was affirming what Jesus has instructed us, right? That they will know that we are his people by the way that we love one another. Well, John ended this passage last week, this passage about love for one another, by saying this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given so the Spirit of God actually confirms that we are abiding in God, that our love for one another is true. But this should start to cause us to ask some questions, maybe. Some questions should arise in our minds, like, like well, how do we discern the Spirit of God from other spirits, right? The Spirit of our age, the Spirit of our culture, the the spirit that is in us, like our spirit. How do we know whether what we are hearing, what we're being moved by, what we're being convicted by is the spirit of God or some other spirit? Maybe you've wondered that. Maybe you've only started wondering that because I just invited you to, but, but that's a logical question that should come to our minds. Well, John helps us answer that question in 1 John 4. So let's follow along, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it is our heart's intention and desire that we would lead and be led by your truth, that we would follow your ways, that we would flee from error and falsehood, and that we would be found in you as our desire. But we also know, Father, that apart from you and your work, your help, uh, we, we will not do those things. We will be led into error. We will not follow you. And so we ask that you would help us, help me this morning, so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would please you. Help us so that we would be led into your truth and follow you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I wonder how many of you have ever seen a deep fake. Maybe uh, you don't know what a deep fake is, but I... I imagine that you've seen it, you just didn't know that you saw it. You see, a deep fake is the 21st century's, uh, 21st century's version of Photoshop. A deep fake uses artificial intelligence to make an image fake an event. So it can put words in a politician's mouth, words that they never said. It can cause your favorite celebrity to do or to say something that they've never done, that they've never said before. It's a way of imposing the face of someone onto their body and make it look like this person is a professional dancer, a professional athlete, an actor, a great singer. It would be sort of like if someone could take my face and digitally impose it upon the body of a professional cellist. So those of you who know me know that uh, I, I can't play cello, I can't play piano, I can barely sometimes every once in a while carry a tune. I have no musical ability at all, okay? So, so if you saw a picture of my face on the body of a cellist and they're playing away and it's like yo-yo ma kind of type level and you saw that, you would know, well, that's clearly a fake. <laughs> There's no way that Penny has that ability, but, but those who don't know me at first glance, at, at first listen, they might think, well, man, who knew that Penny could play the cello so well? Well, that's a deep fake. That's what a deep fake does. It takes the face of someone and it puts them on the body of another so that it looks real. And they're all over the internet. In fact, there's an entire TikTok account dedicated to deep fakes of Tom Cruise. <laughs> I, I haven't been to it. I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it, just the idea that there are deep fakes of Tom Cruise make me I think that sounds funny, but regardless, um, what's incredibly cool as well as incredibly scary about deepfakes is how much they look like the original. So don't think about like 80s tech where it's like the head is like three times too big for the body and like the mouth is like moving mechanically. Like that's not what it looks like. It looks real with a quick glance or a momentary listen. It can look and sound like someone is doing or saying something that is incredibly surprising or unexpected or unreal. Because that's what it is. It's unreal. You see, they're fake. They look real, but they're fake. They're frauds. They're counterfeits. And though it's because of technology that has made these fakes far easier to produce and far harder to discern, the truth is, is that counterfeits and frauds and fakes are, have been around long before artificial intelligence. In fact, John is warning about fakes in this passage. We see it in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, 
For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets. So you remember if you've been with us in chapter 2, John spoke about those who had been part of the church, who had said they believed in Jesus, had clung themselves, had, had embraced the things of the church, but over time it became apparent that they actually weren't part of the church. Right? They departed, they left. Well, John's returning to those people again, and he's saying that they're false prophets. You see, these people who departed, they didn't just go away quietly, they went away teaching false doctrine. Those who maybe had initial hearing or initial glance, they looked true, they looked real, but it turned out they were fake. And so he says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test them. Discern whether they are from God or not. Okay, so what do we use to test them? Well, to discern a deep fake, you use artificial intelligence and technology. You use the very technology that they use to create the deep fake. But, but to John's audience, right, there, there's no algorithm, right? And there's no algorithm for us that we can perform that would discern the spirit of a man or a woman. No, we discern if someone is of God by looking at what they believe but also by looking at what they're trusting in. And that's what John points us to. What we believe about Jesus. Look at verse 2. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So it's clear John's telling us that these false prophets, these teachers, they had a distorted view of who Jesus was, right? They're not denying that Jesus was someone who lived, who taught, who even led a moral life, but they're denying some foundational truth about who he is, namely that he came in the flesh and that he came from God, right? That's what we see. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That he came in the flesh. Now, many commentaries, most commentaries actually believe that what John is doing is he's combating some sort, some form of what was called docetism. So docetism was an early church heresy that said basically that Jesus came, but, but he didn't come in the flesh, that his body, his flesh, it, it just kind of looked like the flesh. It wasn't really that he came in human form. He kind of just looked like a human. It, it's kind of like a modern-day hologram. You could hear him, you could see him, but, but when you touched him, maybe something was there, but, but it wasn't like skin. It was, it was something different. Now, this is very problematic. It's very problematic because... Well, one, it's heresy, <laughs> so that's really problematic. But it's heresy because it denies Jesus' humanity. It denies his, it denies his humanity. And this is problematic because the consistent message of Scripture is that Jesus wasn't some aberration of man or some ghost-like person who appeared but did not have a body, but he actually was man, 100% man and 100% God. That he took on flesh, that Christ had bones and blood and organs, right? That, 
that his disciples, when they touched him, they felt his hand and they felt his skin and they could feel the calluses on his hands from working as a carpenter. That, that they could embrace him and hold him. That when they leaned against him, there was something firm. That when Jesus ate, his body processed the nutrients. And his stomach would growl as he digested, just like ours. He was man. He took on flesh. Now, this is incredibly important to our faith because the truth is, is that if Christ didn't come in the flesh, if Christ wasn't incarnate, which is the theological word that we use to, to describe his coming, the incarnation, if he wasn't incarnate, then the truth is, is we're still in our sins. As the theologian Karen Jobes put it, the confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh does not simply acknowledge that Jesus was a historical person, but expresses the redeeming significance of his incarnate life, death, and resurrection on behalf of his people. In other words, if Christ is not incarnate, if Christ did not come in the flesh, then he hasn't borne our sins in his body. He hasn't atoned for our transgressions. He hasn't been bodily resurrected, and thus we are still dead in our sins. We are still dead in our trespasses. You see, friends, the redemptive work of Jesus includes his incarnation. And so we cannot deviate from that. Jesus came as a man. And John is saying that we test every spirit by what they say about Jesus. That is how we test the spirits, by what they say about Jesus. And we ask not just what do they believe, what do those people believe about Jesus, but we need to ask what do we believe? What do we say about Jesus? What do our lives say about what we believe about him? Do what they and we say align with what's revealed in scripture? That's actually where John points us. Look at verse 6. He says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, John, when he speaks of those of listening to us, the us there is the apostolic testimony. So we have to remember that, that when John was writing, when Paul was writing, when the other New Testament writers were writing, the New Testament wasn't finished yet, right? I mean, they were, they were writing it. The canon wasn't closed. And so the, the apostolic testimony, the, the authority of the apostles, that's those are the ones who had authority within the church. It was their word that, that had authority because they were the apostolic witness. But, but that testimony, that testimony of the apostles, it continues even though the apostles have gone away. It continues now in God's word. See, the testimony that they give, gave us is now here. We have it. We have all of it. The canon has been closed. And so the Bible is the authoritative word that informs us what is true and good, what is right and what is wrong, what we believe about God and his word and his world and his son. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism put it, the word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. And then it goes on to say, 
The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And so it is God's very word, his Bible, his scriptures, not the words of culture, not the words of politics, not even the words of our own hearts, but the word of God that informs what we believe about the world and about ourselves and about Jesus. And what God's word tells us is that Jesus came in the flesh, that he died in our place, that he rose to new life, and that he did so so that all who would believe would have life. And so, friends, if there is anyone who is teaching or proclaiming a message different than that, who is teaching or proclaiming a gospel other than that one, a distortion of Jesus, then, then do not listen to them. Do not follow them. For what we believe about Jesus must line up with what we read in Scripture. This is why in the preaching and teaching ministry of our church, we are constantly going back to Scripture, right? Like a sermon isn't just pithy thoughts from Penny, right? That, that's not worth your time, y'all. No, a, a sermon in the teaching, I mean, if you were in the Sunday school class on gentle and lowly, right, they're reading a book and talking about this book, but it was filled with references to Scripture because we keep returning to it again and again and again. What we believe must come from God's Word. That's why on Sundays we often will tell you, if you don't have a Bible, take it with you because this is the most important word you can have. So what does the Word tell us? What are you believing about Jesus? You see, those who are of God will believe what the Word says about Jesus, that he is from God and that he has come in the flesh, and that we will also trust in his victory. That's what John tells us in verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, that word overcome there, it's the exact same word that Jesus used on the eve of going to the cross. And when he told his disciples in John 16, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Okay, so I want you to think about this. The night before Jesus goes to the cross, right, before he's arrested, before he's going to be beaten, before he's going to be crucified, before he's going to die, what does he say as he prepares his disciples? He says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. He's going to go through trial. He's going to go through difficulty. He's going to go to his death, and yet he is still triumphant. And why? Because the tomb could not contain him. Because death had no power over him. Because he is greater than this world. Y'all, that is incredibly comforting. That though he was died, he died and was crucified and was buried for three days, he was triumphant. And is triumphant. That is comforting because the truth is, is that we experience all sorts of trials. John's readers experience false teaching and people departing from the faith. We've seen that in our own age. And that can be incredibly concerning. But we also know the effects of our sin and the sins of others upon us. We know the difficulty of living in a world that distorts the gospel and disbelieves the Bible. We know these difficulties. And yet, what does John and what does Jesus tell us? Take heart. 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Y'all think about that. He who is in you. What John is telling us is that the one who has conquered death and hell and the grave, the one who rose victoriously from the dead, he is the one who dwells in you. Y'all, that sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? That sounds too good to be true, that the power that was at work to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work within us because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's how Jesus dwells within us, by the ministry of the Spirit. We've already heard the work of the Spirit in this book, that he has anointed us. That he has anointed those who are trusting in Christ and his work. And so that means that those who have been anointed, that those who have been filled with the Spirit, that we share in Christ's victory. It means that his victory is our victory. It's kind of like um, my kids and I, well, Cole and Mead and I especially, we've been watching a lot of high school basketball lately. We've been going to a lot of the games, and we go to the games, and we, I, I don't think we've missed one in, in a number of weeks. And, and we sit there, and we have the exact same seats we go to every single week, and we, we sit up there, and we cheer the team on, and we celebrate, and we, we you know, yell, and we scream. And, you know, they scream a little bit more than I do. But still, we, we do some yelling, and we do some screaming, and we're excited when they win, and we, we grieve when they lost. And, you know, it, it's a wonderful time. But, but what I love about going to these games is that because of our association, association with Cave Spring, knowing Coburn, who's on the team, and, and some of the other players, knowing some of the coaches, knowing that that's where Lane goes to high school, and Mead will be there in a couple years, and Cole will follow her a few years later. Because of this association, when, when Cole and Mead in particular speak of the team, they speak as we. That's what they say in the games. They look to me and go, Dad, Man, we are shooting amazing tonight, aren't we? Dad, we, we, need, to, we need to tighten up our D. We need, to, we need to surround them. We need to dive after the ball. We need to go at it. We need to throw our bodies around. We need to get better, play harder, don't we? And when we come home, we walk into the house, and they run into the family room, and they tell Kat, we won. I love it. I love hearing them say this, we won, we shot well, we played hard. But you know, Cole's not on the team. And Meade's never donned a jersey, and they've never taken a shot, and the only time we ever step foot on the floor is after the game when we tell the players congratulations, and we, we talk to the coach, or we, we say hey to the other family members there. It's the only time we're on the floor, but yet they say we. And they say we because they're sharing in that victory. They're sharing in the victory that they haven't won, that they didn't actually participate in, and yet they share in it. And y'all, in a far more significant way, that's what John tells us about our relationship with Jesus. That because he's greater than the world and has overcome the world, so too have we. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says that we have been raised with Christ, that we have died with Christ, that we are hidden with Christ, and that when he appears in glory, so too will we. You see, because he's victorious, 
so are we. And so our lives are to look like we're from God and sharing in this victory. That's what John's getting at when he contrasts the world with those of God. In verses 5 and 6, he says, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. They speak from the world is just another way of saying they speak from the perspective of the world. And so the antithesis must be true that God's people, those who are of God, that, that our words and our lives would speak and would reflect the perspective of God. That we would demonstrate that we are not of the world, but of God. That we are trusting in Christ's victory. So practically, what this means is that when we are exposed to hate, we confront hate not with more hate, but with love. Because that is the way of God. It means that, that, when, we are, um, that when we are faced with chaos, we respond with peace. It means that though the bumper sticker might say, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention for the believer, we don't respond to outrage with more outrage. We respond with hope. In other words, our words and our lives are to demonstrate that we are Christ's, that we are trusting in his work. It doesn't make us Christ. It shows and demonstrates that we are his, that we are trusting in his victory, his victory that is true. Y'all, it's not a fake, and it's not a fraud. He is trustworthy and true. And so when our lives and our words and our thoughts and our spirits are examined, what will be seen? What will be discerned? What is true or what is false? What is real or what is a fake? Well, friends, if you are believing in Christ, if you are trusting in his victory, then we will be found not to be counterfeit, not to be a fake, but we will be found to be those who are of God, those who believe in Jesus as he has been revealed in his word, those who are trusting in his victory on our behalf. And friends, that is no fake. That is true. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you have sent our Lord Jesus, this one who has come, who has lived, who has died and risen again. And we know that he has come in the flesh and that his death, by his death, he took our sin upon himself. And by his life, he brought new life. And you have sent your spirit who now indwells us and leads us in your truth. And so we pray that we would follow you, and that we would be led into your truth, that we would flee from error and that we would cling to you our God who is true, our God who is victorious. Help us to do this, we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.